Good afternoon. Welcome to week number 17 uh, in our summer series about the gospel according to Jesus. Uh, this week we are in the third to the last of these uh, lessons. Uh, we've got two more after today. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the cost of discipleship. Uh, last week we were uh, uh, the certainty of judgment. And uh, there is the absolute certainty of judgment. That day is coming. Now, I suspect that many people believe it's closer than, than uh, we realize. Uh, but whatever, whenever judgment does come, uh, we want to be ready for that. And so when we uh, look today at the cost of discipleship, it gives us a chance to look uh, very closely at ourselves and whether we have been very good at judging the cost and then being willing to uh, pay that cost. But first, let me start with prayer. Our gracious Father, we come again into your presence and pray that during these next few minutes that you will draw our hearts to you and to you alone. We ask that you would clear our minds and free our imaginations from everything but that which uh, is the glory of your word. Uh, we pray, Father, that we might surrender our wills, to, uh, that we might be wholly yours and utterly dedicated to doing uh, what you would have us do. And all these things, Father, we do to your glory and to the welfare of your people. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Discipleship. We've talked about discipleship a good bit uh, during this summer series. Uh, again, discipleship is not a higher calling. It is a part of being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I are, are the scriptures I'm going to start with today is, in fact, that great commission, which comes from Matthew 28, the 19th and 20th verses, which tells us what our mission is as far as the body of Christ is concerned. In Matthew 28, in the 18th verse, in the part B, it says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Everybody, if you're a believer, you're a disciple. And if you're a disciple, there are certain obligations that you have, and certainly those obligations come at a cost to you personally. And that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, mission, make disciples. Uh, part of making disciples is to preach the gospel because it's through the foolishness of preaching the gospel that we obtain conviction or that, that the power of the Spirit obtains conviction, if you will, and also repentance on the part of uh, a believer, someone who has been convicted about the separation that they have with, with them and, and God and that they need to, to repent of that and lead a more holy life and to become more like Jesus. The objective, of course, is to teach and obey, teaching, all, teaching them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So and we are, as disciples, once we have been taught, we also have the responsibility of then teaching. Transparency in evangelism, in Luke 14, 28 and 30, there's a, there's a verse there that I wanted to read. 28 says, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him. 
that that verse this this earlier this week when I was going back through the scriptures that I wanted to use today, uh, it, it just sort of you know a little bell went off. It said something you know that's that's probably as far as Christianity is concerned. That's sort of the root of the problem with the lack of credibility that Christianity has, in, especially in this country. Uh, we have a lot of opposition. Christians do, in general, have a lot of opposition. And most of that opposition comes from people who do not see the Christian faith as being a very serious faith because the people who profess that faith do not appear to be very serious in their profession and living out that word. John Stott wrote a book called uh, Not Mere Christianity. That was C.S. Lewis. But his book was entitled Basic Christianity. There was a piece out of his book that I wanted to also read. John Stott says, The Christian landscape is strewn with the wreckage of derelict, half-built towers. The ruins of those begin to build and were the ruins of those who began to build and were unable to finish. For thousands of people still ignore Christ's warning and undertake to follow him without first pausing to reflect on the cost of doing so. The result is the great scandal of Christendom today to call this nominal Christian or nominal Christianity. In countries to which Christian civilizations have spread, large numbers of people have covered themselves with decent but very thin veneer of Christianity. They have allowed themselves to become somewhat involved, enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Their religion is a great soft cushion. It protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life while changing its place and shape to suit their convenience. No wonder the cynics, of, cynics speak of hypocrites in the church and dismiss religion as escapism. And that, that is, those words, even though this was written by John Stott quite a long time ago, all 60, uh, actually about 70 years ago, 1970, uh, 1958 was in John, when John Stott wrote his book, uh, Basic Christianity. But what he said then certainly is applicable, if not more so today, than it was then. We do have large numbers of nominal Christians in the church today. You know them. I know them. Uh, we, we are, we're friends with them. They're a part of the body, but they are uh, nominal at best, meaning that they're not very serious about their faith. Uh, One of the things that uh, we are also told, and, and certainly in Scripture, and it tells us again and again and again, is that we need to beware of just a just-in-case strategy in terms of our uh, faith and, and trying to be uh, what God has called us to be as a part of the body of Christ. If our motivation is, I, w- I want to do this just-in-case, just in case there is a God, just in case that the story of Jesus is true, just in case that I don't just disappear once I die, just in case there is an afterlife, I want to be prepared for that. If that's your strategy, uh, there, I'm, a, I'm afraid you're probably going to have a very disappointed judgment day. Matthew 10, 32-39 tells us what true believers are, and, and they're not just in case they didn't get there, with a just-in-case strategy. Matthew 10, 32-39. He says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before him, 
before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter's law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me, and he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Those are things which, which I'm sure many Christians would consider to be very harsh words and perhaps might even uh, doubt their, their uh, validity or their truth. But the Word tells us, as, as it says there in 35, I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and so forth. And in verse 37, or uh, 38, he says, and he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Although the, the, the words I would use are, are certainly more of a vernacular than, than what the, certainly the scripture says there, but there's no such thing as a casual cross. Uh, many of us would like to believe. Uh, we probably used, I, I know that I have, uh, in jest might have said, well, you know, this particular thing is just my cross I have to bury. Uh, I have not to bury, but to bear. Uh, and, and many of us have said things like that, and usually we say those things in jest, but there is, there's absolutely no such thing as a casual cross. The cross that Christ gives us to bear as his disciples is not a casual cross. It has a very high price attached to it. It's not just another call. It's a reminder of what's in, entailed in that first call. In Luke, the 14th chapter, it goes back again and, and sort of reiterates that which I'd spoke, spoken to about uh, in just a, a previous reading there. It says, well, which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he's laid the foundations, not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Have you known folks like that? Certainly we know folks like that. We, they they, they been, may have been part of uh, maybe our own personal family. People who, who may be young in life or perhaps in, in, as a teenager or, or maybe as even an adult uh, had a, a, a conviction experience and they they decided they were going to get their life right and they would join the church and they were going to get right with God and all those things which sound good, uh, but yet uh, they did not consider the cost. They started to build the tower and found out they did not have enough money, if you will, or resources in order to complete it. Personal resources, heart resources, soul resources. Those are the things they did not possess. They did not possess the Spirit of God to help them to, uh, or to get them through bearing the cost. It's not another call. It's a reminder of what our obligations are. If you're going to be a believer, you must consider the cost of being a believer and be prepared to pay that cost. Confessing Christ to others, of course, that's one of the, the things that we are obligated to do. Paul said it probably better than any of us could ever say it in Romans 1.16.
Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. It's the power of God for salvation. Many people believe, and and many churches, when you join the church, uh, will ask you, certainly in a Presbyterian church, they will all ask you, always ask you, uh, when you come before the the, the session uh, to join the church, they will always ask you to give your something of your testimony, which in fact is is uh, amounts to a confession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and and of course, uh, when you go before the church. Uh, you, you give a confession, if you will, or profess Christ as a, before the session. Uh, then when you, when you join the church, if you've not already been baptized, and you're baptized, you'll be asked again about your faith. Now, if you're in, in a, a, another Protestant church, a, a Baptist church, which was my own personal experience, of course, you're, you're asked to make a public profession of, of faith, which will be in front of the congregation. Uh, before you're baptized. And so those are, those are just things that are different. But these are a public confession, Romans 10.10. 10. Look at that real quickly. Romans 10.10 10 says, for, what? for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But making that confession, although certainly it's it's due diligence on the part of the officers of the church and the and the pastor of the church to make sure that in fact you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and that you are not ashamed of of, of making that public confession I, I can remember in my own experience I've only had one occasion uh, as a as an elder uh, where there was someone who came before the session and was very concerned about making a public confession uh, was not he certainly had no reservations about making a confession to the session, but was afraid that he was going to be asked to make a public confession i e stand up in front of the church and give his testimony, which he didn 't feel like that he could do for whatever reasons i uh, i I think as I recall and i don 't re- remember that clearly, but as I recall, it had to do was with the anxiety that he felt of standing up in front of a lot of people and he didn 't think he could do that, but he felt comfortable enough to make that confession in the uh, before the session but but the confession itself is a characteristic of being a believer it's not a condition of being a believer first john 4:15 tells us that whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of god god abides in him and he in god so we we as a believer confess god confess our faith in god and in the lord jesus christ and that's a characteristic of being a believer Matthew 25, 31 through 46 talks about those closet Christians, if you, find, if you will. Matthew 25, 41 says, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, these are when he say, he, he's, he's, it's, it's judgment, he's separating the sheep from the goats, and then he's putting them on the right hand and the left hand. And then he will also say to those on the left hand, these are the, the goats, if you will, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick? And did not minister to you. 
And then he will answer them and saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it also to me. And these things, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So if you're, if you're a closet Christian, if you're one of those that, that have just a, a just in case, you know, I'm going to profess my faith and, and have that as my trump card on judgment day. And so I was always a Christian. If that's your, if that's your strategy, it's a poor strategy because obviously God knows your heart. He knows whether you have been a true believer or not. Matthew 10, 34 talks about getting your priorities in order. Matthew 10, 34. This is again a reading from the Matthew 10, 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. Reading on to verse 37, he says, For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. And he who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is is not worthy of me. I I would imagine that... that, uh, I, I hate to say it, I really do, but I but I I, I know it's the truth, uh, and that is that there there are many people uh, who whose families are a higher priority to them than their faith, uh, and they don't feel bad about that. As as a matter of fact, they that that for them is the highest possible virtue is that they, they spend time with their families, they do things with their families, and if the family wants to do such and such, if it interferes with somehow with their faith and being a part of the body of Christ, then family comes first. And they will say that, uh, and they, you know, and make no bones about that, and consider that somewhat virtuous. But as Jesus says here, this, this, this is not jest, this is truth. If we allow Anything that separate that comes between us and our faith and our belief and our obligation to our faith as disciples of Christ, if we allow anything that is between us and that, Jesus says, you're not worthy. You're not worthy of me. And I know that a lot of people have problems with that, and I'm sorry, but the truth is the truth, is that there must be nothing in our priorities, there must be nothing that stands between us and our, our volition, our commitment to doing the will of God in Christ Jesus. Living the moment. That, that's, that's one of the, the, the things that's big in the world today. Everybody wants to be living in the moment. If you're a, I don't have Facebook, but I, but I know that's a big deal on Facebook. And everybody posts the pictures and everybody posts what I'm doing here, my vacation, my this, my trip, my whatever. It's all about living in the moment. Uh, there's even a psychological condition now about about a fear of not being able to live in the moment. Uh, and I don't think it's in the DSM-4, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for, for Psychological Disorders yet, but it probably will be in a few years. But our priorities have to be in order. But the Bible also says if we if if our priorities gives gives preference to Christ, it gives priority to Christ in our life, all of that other stuff will also be uh, taken care of. And taken care of better than we could take care of it if we were avoiding living out our obligations in Christ Jesus. 
Our priority is we ought to be not living in the moment, but living in the light of eternity. There can only be one number one priority. And of course, as, as uh, John Stott said in his book, Basic, Basic Christianity, we need to consider very carefully what our priorities are. What are we willing to lose by having our priority number one? Uh, uh, being a disciple as our number one priority, being a committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. What are we living? uh, Because you, you, you are going to be faced with losing something for the sake of Christ. You got, are, are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to lose your family, your friends, your public opinion, your life? If in fact you are a committed Christian, if you are in fact a committed true believer and want to do the will of the Lord Jesus Christ for your life, you're going to come up against those choices about what are you willing to lose in terms of your faith. And the choices are not made to make life difficult for you. It's to make sure that you understand what you've committed yourself to in terms of the cost of being a follower, a disciple of Jesus. Sometimes it may avoid, I mean, it may include your job, or it may include family, family members. As Jesus plainly says, you know, I didn't come to bring peace, I brought to, to bring a sword, and it, and it may be against your family members, your father, your mother, your, your, your children. So these are things, and, and, and many, I'm sure that there are many Christians who are part of listening to the video or watching the video that probably have family members who, who, who are quite indignant whenever they're, the, the, the family issues are not the number one priority and that perhaps you or, or, or someone else uh, chooses your faith over a family or you choose your faith over friends or you choose your faith over public opinion. I, I doubt there's in, uh, any of us are going to, uh, to face losing our life. Uh, certainly there are lots of Christians around the world who in fact are doing that. Uh, there are many martyrs in the world today who are martyrs for the faith. Most of them are, are in those uh, Muslim countries which uh, where being a Christian is not tolerated and it's a heresy. And so uh, sometimes, especially in those war-torn areas, uh, they, when if, if they're come under the control of the Muslims and they're not willing to deny Christ, uh, then they're certainly going to be asked to forfeit their life. Well, they're going to be asked to forfeit it. It's going to be taken from them. But we make those choices daily. We choose daily the kind of life we're going to live as a part of the body of Christ. We choose daily. And as I said earlier, there are no casual crosses. They just do not exist. What about our failures? 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty one. says, I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. And of course he says that when, when, when Paul is talking here in Corinthians about dying daily, he's talking about all of the things that he has been through. And then he, you know, sort of, sort of wrapping those up by saying, would I, would I have done all these things? Would I have, whether it, would, would I have 
risk losing my job? Would I have risked losing my family or I may have lost my family or my friends or public officials and, and our public opinion or, or even, as Paul says, he's faced death and he makes those choices daily. And would he make those choices if he did not believe he was not firmly committed to be the choice that he made in choosing Christ? And so his cross was not a casual cross. None of us, if we are truly committed to the faith, are going to bear a casual cross. It will be a costly cross. What about our failures? Of course, we're, we're not, none of us are perfect, only Christ was. And, and, and so we are going to fail. But our 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty one says that we ought to have repentant faith. Is that when we do fail as that we repent of that failure and so and then to again go back to uh, and ask for strength to continue to die daily and die daily is not hyperbole it's not an exaggeration it's not a blowing up of making a mountain out of a molehill uh, those of you who who have have been walking in faith for a number of years know that 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 there's always something that's going to challenge your faith and challenge you to be what God has called you to be. And there's always easier choices than the one that you have to make. There's a, there's a contemporary supposition about just try, try Jesus. Uh, there's even a song that's, that's uh, it's a very popular song at one time. I don't know what, it's, what it is now, but I can't remember who sang it. One of the contemporary artists wrote and, and sang the song, Try Jesus. Very catchy song. Uh, sing, sing it a lot in, in contemporary church music. Try Jesus. The implication of that is, is, is it just a momentary, oh, you just try it. And if you don't like it, that you can just leave it alone. But if you do like it, uh, it's, it's one of those things, you can just stick with it. You know, then you might even consider joining a church. But trying Jesus is not a momentary experience that's offered to anybody. It comes as a result of conviction, it comes as a result of repentance, and it comes as a result of justification, not justification, because when you make those repentance and, and conviction and repentance, you're justified, and then begins that journey of, of sacrifice, which is the, the part of sanctification. That's not a momentary experience. And of course, the last thing today, and I, I'll close in Luke 9, 62, is that if you're a Christian... There's, there's just no way that, that uh, you can't be a true dis- disciple. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And so it's, it, it's, it certainly is a warning. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's, it's cause for us to always pause and, and, and do some self-examination as, as we talked about last week in, in uh, 1 Corinthians. Continue to examine ourselves to see where we stand in terms of our efforts. And if we, we find out that, that, you know, that we are slipping uh, and that we, are, we need to repent of that in, the, in, the, in some churches and certainly in the Baptist church again, they call that backsliding. And so if you're backsliding, you need to repent. Backsliding doesn't mean that you've lost your salvation. It just means that, that you are doing things which you need to repent of. The sins that we're punished for ultimately in judgment are those sins that we did not repent of. And so we need to repent and be faithful to what Jesus has called us to be in this life. Luke nine sixty six. If you put your shoulder to the plow and you turn back, you're not fit for the kingdom of heaven.
Let me close. Father, again, we thank you for your word of truth. Uh, Father, we know we are weak people. Uh, we know that, uh, that, that all the time, that uh, as we, uh, unlike Paul, uh, we don't always die daily. Some days we, we look at things and, and we say, well, this can't hurt. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, this is not going to make any difference. Uh, so let me do this and, and, and uh, you know, I'll get back to doing the right thing next week. Or perhaps no one will notice. Or, or perhaps uh, uh, God will, will, will give me grace for having done this or said this. Or, or whatever it might be as, as we choose an easier way than the, what lay, the way that's been ordained for us as believers. So we ask the Lord for strength. And we ask to be faithful. Uh, we to, to to our calling uh, each day that we might die to those things that separate us from the Lord Jesus Christ, and so that we might live into and unto eternity. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.